0: This is the Punk Show Podcast. Hello? Hello, Alice. It's Jason up here in Victoria. How you doing?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it.
1: Sure. My pleasure.
0: My little old little radio show up here in Canada appreciates it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, so I, I hope I don't, I, I think I'm good. I, I hope I don't come across as unprepared because I, I was hoping to like uh, talk to you to maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. And so I was like, okay, I'll have tonight at home to get the best questions ever and really blow her away with my knowledge. But uh, <laughs> that's so, okay. So, so, so bear well, with me. You know what? It's yeah.
1: fine because uh, probably your, your listeners might need a refresher course as well. So it'd be, if there's something you don't know, I'm happy to
0: to talk about it. That's great, I appreciate that, because that's true, you know, uh, we have a lot of people up here who know, you know, a passing knowledge of punk history and such, but uh, probably maybe don't know too much about you, so. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's, I wanted to first start talking about what you're doing now. You sound like you're crazy busy, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you, are you working on a new album for yourself and producing another band at the same time?
1: Not at the same time, exactly, but um, I am working on my album right now, I just finished recording some tracks and i'm going into the studio to mix um on wednesday okay in in early october i'm going to start working with this band from fresno called fatty cake and the puff pastries fatty cake and the puff pastries yes so one of my favorite bands and um i found out that they were going to record and i just offered to help so excited I'm, really, I'm equally excited to work with somebody else and have to do my own record. So.
0: Now, is producing other people something you've got experience doing? You know, that's
1: actually the reason that I decided to record my own record was because um, there's a band in uh, Texas called Fea. It's some of the members from um, Girl in a Coma. Okay. The, the bassist and the drummer went on and did a separate project. It's called Thea, and um, they invited me to produce some tracks on their on their first album. And um, having that experience really made me realize that I could go into the studio and produce my own my own material. Um, I, di- I chose not to do that actually because um, even though I think I know what I want my music to sound like, I feel like I'm not completely I, I feel like I, it's better to have somebody else give me feedback, someone that I trust. So I decided to invite Lisa Flores first to come in and sort of be a, a vocal producer and listen to my vocals and tell me if I should redo them. Okay. Uh, and, and when she started, when she started working with me, I realized that she just has such a wonderful ear that I wanted her to have a bigger role. So I think we kind of co-produced that. Um, this time around, she is taking even a bigger role. She actually came to um, some rehearsals, and she's been listening to the tracks for longer, so okay. she's going to have them.
0: So it's kind of a case of if you were just producing it on your own, maybe you're too close to the material, and you need to have that kind of other uh, yeah, set of ears, right? I think,
1: yeah, I, I think sometimes I, um, I, I'm i also really hard on myself as far as like making sure that everything is, very, like, perfect as I imagine it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just need Lisa to tell me, you know, it's not about perfection. It's about, like, giving the emotion. And a lot of times she had me sing things where just said, forget about, like, focusing on that note. Just go for the, the meaning of the song. And that's good because that's that's what I normally do when I'm performing live. I normally just focus. I don't focus on, like, trying to sing, you know, A pretty melody I just focus on like trying to connect with the audience and deliver the meaning of the song right and I find that in the studio I get a lot more um stuck on like making it sound good and sometimes I I feel like that's not what's important it's it's I guess it's a balance you know you want the song to sound to, to bear repeated listening so you don't want it to be totally raw and for people to just get sick of, like, you screaming.
0: But. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and you've had, uh, basically, I, I troll your Facebook page for most of my information, by the way. And it's, it's, So thank you for being so uh, uh, heavy with the posts, because it like, gives me lots of uh, stuff to work with here. So you've had Kathleen Hanna in there with you and Allison Wolf from Bratmobile?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've known Allison for a while now, and we've actually developed a really close friendship. Um, and I just met Kathleen Hannah. Um, I was invited to a party at at her house and she was just such a nice, nice person. Like she came up and, you know, was making sure that I was well taken care of. And I just felt like she was so warm that, um, that I extended the invitation just said, Hey, if you, you know, if you feel like coming by and singing back up on a song, you know, or, or just hanging out at the studio, you're invited, right? Right. And she was out of town on the weekend when we were doing it, and she's like, "Please invite me again. I'd love to do it." So we made a special time for her to come. And uh, I had a song that I that I thought really fit what Kathleen stands for, what Allison stands for, and what I stand for. It's a um, a song about um, pay inequality. So. Uh, so I, we, we all sang on it, and I'm really excited to hear what comes out.
0: That's awesome. Because um,
1: it's not mixed yet. <laughs> right, fair enough.
0: So you're in the mixing process now, so do you, do you already have dates and stuff um, in mind of when the album's going to come out and, and such?
1: Uh, yeah, it's hmm. going to come out in, um, in spring. Yeah. Awesome. On, on the Don Giovanni lab- label again.
0: So the, your first solo album, which came out uh, last year, and, uh, when I, 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 mentioned it in my email to you, I, m- I met you very briefly there at Punk Rock Bowling back in May, and, um, and you signed your new record for me, which was awesome. Thank you for that. And, uh, it's a great record, and there's, there's so many different, y- you really explore different styles in, on that record. I think that's fair to say, um, you know, you've got some Latin sounds in there as well. That, uh, He's So Sorry, which is a great song, definitely has the 50s vibe. Uh, the video that goes along with it is wonderful as well. Um, is that what you're doing as well, or are you sticking more to one musical style with this new record?
1: Um, no, I think I've got a variety of of um, styles. I I have so many things that I like to listen to that sometimes I don't even I don't even think of it as like this is in this style or this is in that style. I just think like I want to write a song and then it just happens. However, it happens and it, you know. I'm not really, I guess I'm I'm not really aware of the differences in, um, you know, you just said I had a Latin song. And I think the song, Incorporeal Life, when I first started writing it, I really thought it was going to be more of a, like, Iggy Pop, Lust for Life sort of thing. And okay. then it, as it started, like, if we, as we started working on it, I realized, oh, no, the song is about, you know, it's about, like, living in your body and not being completely... Um, consumed by your online life <laughs> and role-playing games that you know kids play online and and adults too you know sure. and um and I thought it would be really cool if it had some kind of Mardi Gras flavor you know like because what what is more for me what is what when I think of somebody that's really enjoying the um I guess the joys of the flesh <laughs> like Mardi Gras, right? Sure. Like where people are just indulging. Just
0: sin- sinning. So that's yeah.
1: what I re- yeah. So I really, I really thought of that. And then I have a friend who's Brazilian who came in and she played guitar on it. And she's like, oh yeah, we have to have, you know, it's like when you, when you go to Carnaval, it's all about like, it's all about the rhythm section. And so it evolved, you know? Right.
0: Um, Okay, uh, if you don't mind I want to go back in time a little bit here and talk about uh about the bags and 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 uh just where they stand in the history of punk and like I said there are lots of people that listen to my show that are young and are just getting into punk rock music and you know they only kind of know a very base history of what's going on and uh you know when you start looking into it and really what hap- what was going on especially in obviously California and I mean the bags were incredibly important in that whole scene and you you Do you think? Do you you get pissed off sometimes, or feel like you're not you don't get the due that's 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 uh, deserved? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, I read a book about the dead Kennedys recently, and you know, they were opening for you guys when they were starting out. And uh, is this because? Do you think a lot? I'm sort of all over the place with this question. I apologize, but uh, do you think it's um, a lot of it's to do with just the fact that you didn't have that much recorded output uh, for people to look back on, or? that just it was a short-lived band? Or why do you think maybe you're not, you know, in the same breath as some of these other, uh, you know, the Germs and the Dead Kennedys and these other bands that came out around that time?
1: Well, the Germs is a different story, but I think um, think you hit it on the head. You know, it is a a variety of things. The fact that we didn't have a lot of um, recorded output was part of it. Mm -hmm. We only lasted about three years. Of course, there are other bands that only lasted about three years that are, like, you know, are well documented. Right. Um, but I also think that one of the things that started happening in the early 80s was that uh, there was a shift in focus. You know, like, in the late 70s, a lot of the people that were involved were were women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were taking... Um, taking part in not only playing music, being roadies, being photographers, but we were documenting our own scene. And I think, um, things changed as, as punk rock grew, you had more mainstream outlets doing the documenting and it, the, the focus shifted to male centered bands and, uh, the, you know, it started to become portrayed as a white male uh, punk scene when it hadn't started that
0: way. Right. I can I can hear your dog in the background now. <laughs> That's I'm awesome. So sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. It's, it's great. Um well I think you make a very good point, you know, and uh and it's sort of sad in a lot of ways that you still have uh you know, even back then at the birth of punk when it seemed like everything was so all inclusive and that, you know, and the women and maybe minorities and such were getting a chance to really um do their own thing and be part of a scene like that, and then and then it had to morph into almost this more mainstream, once again, you know, white male-dominated thing, right? When the hardcore came along and all that.
1: Well, I don't yeah. know, you know, I, I don't know if it actually completely morphed into that or if that's just the the narrative that, you know, that happened.
0: That
1: okay. The, you know, as, as mainstream media came in and started documenting, that's what they focused on. You know, I think a lot of times people you know i have stories from friends who are musicians who who were involved in punk a little bit later than i was who say they'd walk into a club carrying you know carrying an, equipment and somebody and people would assume they were somebody's girlfriend <laughs> instead of part of the band right um alison wolf tells me that she's she's been harassed backstage <laughs> when she's going backstage because they don't realize she's in the band
0: wow so and so does this, I mean, <clears throat> it still continues to this day, you know, and uh, am I, it's, uh, I, you know, you've spent a lot of time singing about this stuff, writing about it, talking about it. Um, you know, are things improving in that, in that sense?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, that, that old saying, you know, you, you, it's two, step forward, two steps forward, one step back, you mm-hmm. know, and you keep going. You, you move forward for a bit, and then you have, like, some major setbacks, and, um, you know, often it... It mirrors the political climate. So right now I feel like we're in a position where we're fighting back. You know, we're like the, um, popular culture is changing and it's taking on a more conservative side. And we have to like, I think it forces us to make our presence felt, to mm-hmm. talk louder, to sing louder, to like, um, just really form alliances and show that we, are ready to, to resist.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you said that. I wanted to get your take on sort of what's going on right now. You know, up here in Canada, we're kind of looking at, at what's happening with Trump and all this, and we're, it's pretty mind-boggling, really, that it seems like almost surreal what's happening and how backwards things seem to be going. This is a time, I think, when music needs to come back to being angry and, and protesty and and upset about what's going on, and hopefully that will happen more.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. I mean, I I um I don't want to tell musicians, other musicians or other artists, you know, what they have to write about. But I know for me, it's such like so much of my inspiration comes from like frustration and anger and feeling like, hey, I want to talk to other people that have these feelings, and you know, I mean, it, it kind of like knowing that the other people are feeling the same thing. Helps you not feel so helpless. Helps you feel like we can form alliances right. and we can fight back. You
0: know, it seems, and it, you know, you you uh, you're living the double whammy because not only are you a woman now dealing with this new Trump America and all that the sort of
1: yeah, what
0: seems like misogyny that's uh, you know infected the White House so to speak, um, but also you. Are of Mexican heritage too, and and so you're you're getting it from both sides, it seems.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I'm also queer, so that makes me like there you, you know, go. A triple whammy, really.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might, that can't be uh, can't be easy to deal with having to 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 you know stand up to all that stuff. But you you do a good job of it. <laughs> so. Why well,
1: we, thank you. <laughs> I, I have no choice. Right.
0: Um.
1: I want I want to survive, so I have no choice.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. That. Um, I also wanted to ask you, just this morning you posted something on your Facebook, and um, I didn't even know about this at all until I looked into it a little bit. I didn't know that you were down in Nicaragua down, during that whole Contra thing in the 80s? Yeah, I was,
1: um, I volunteered, I um, was taking a class um, in in college, I was um, taking a class and I was asked to read a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire. And at the time, I had just started working as an elementary school teacher, and a lot of my students were from a Central American background. Um, And as I was having a conversation with a fellow teacher, she said, you know that book that you like so much, Pedagogy of the Oppressed? The writer was consulted by the Sandinista revolutionaries uh, and they designed this literacy campaign that's based on um, this idea that, that we indoctrinate children with our educational system. We we treat them as receptacles where um, they just basically are taught to, I mean, this is, this is something that I've experienced as a teacher that we do in the United States. Mm -hmm. We teach kids uh, a certain history. We teach them a certain perspective. We teach them certain values. And, uh, we don't really teach critical thinking. We don't really teach um, to value other cultures and to understand other points of view and to have dialogue with each other. Um, and that's I wanted to see um, the alternative to that, which was this um, literacy campaign that was inspired by Pablo Freire, so I volunteered to go down to Nicaragua and uh, and work on the literacy campaign. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to go down there and I thought I'm going to do good for other people. And what happened was I really, like, came, had to come to terms with my own ignorance. And I really felt like I'm the one... Enriched by the whole experience, I felt like I learned so much. It's a life-changing experience.
0: Was there close calls? Like, was it scary down there? I mean, I don't know if I could handle that.
1: There were times when it was scary. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it was in the middle of the Contra war, so, um, and I was up in the northern part of Nicaragua in a little town called Esteli. So there were times when I woke up to machine gun fire, and wow. um, and it was it was scary. You know, I remember one instance walking home late at night and hearing, you know, hearing multiple um, hearing ma- machine gun fire and it, hearing what, soo- what sounded like an exchange of fire and, like, ducking behind these bushes, like, <laughs> just hitting the ground and waiting for it to stop. Oh, man. Thinking, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> I'm unarmed. I'm here with a book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um And you actually published a book about that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was basically... Um, the diaries that you were keeping at that time—is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. It was the diaries I was keeping, but also because diaries are such a personal thing that are, are not written really for other people to read. I went back and I added like a few notes, and I added, um, I modeled it sort of after um, for dummies books. I don't know if you have those in Canada. We do. Oh yeah, for sure. But but you kind of put little little sidebars like little explanations and things that you want to pay attention to and without hopefully without disrupting the flow
0: right that makes sense have you always been a diary keeper do you do you continue to do that now
1: i used Hmm. to keep diaries a lot more when i was younger um i don't do it as much now i did blog for a while and then i you know i stopped but um but I, the reason I kept that diary so faithfully was because I actually was, um, I told you I was in school, I was in college at the time and I, uh, applied for independent credit for an independent study, um, by keeping track of what I was doing in Nicaragua. Okay. So I actually got college credit for going down there.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. On to other, you still got a few minutes you're okay?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, this is going pretty well, considering I was feeling unprepared, don't you think?
1: yeah, it's go- you know what i I have a feeling you're gonna have to do some editing because I tend to like just talk I love I that though stop me <laughs>
0: that's great no, that's no I love the editing it's no problem. um so I have a friend named Ty up here in victoria he uh he contributes to my show every week with a little feature and he also writes regularly for uh Razor Cake magazine
1: oh cool
0: and uh yeah, and I saw that you are you seem to be involved with them on some level. you're doing a, a show for them or something, is that correct?
1: yeah we're playing their hundredth issue anniversary party, and I'm really excited about that i'm playing with Frank, who is a very old friend of mine, not that she's very old, but we've been friends for a long time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we met you know in I, probably seventy seven mm. um, and we had never we we had never worked together until this year when uh, Frank approached me about uh, an, an idea she had. She was a fan of uh, this group called the Smothers Brothers. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but in the 60s, the Smothers Brothers were uh, a couple of brothers who played music that was political, and then they kind of did like this comedy skit. And um, I think because both of us were interested in doing... I've always thought of myself as kind of funny. Yeah. And I think my friends think of me as funny because I'm, I'm goofy, but it's a lot harder being funny, uh, on stage and knowing exactly what you're going to say. I don't know that I'm that good at that, (laughs) but, but Frank is just, she's wonderful to work with. She's like very generous and, um, she, and while she's generous, she's also like willing to just like lead the way. And I, I'm happy to let her because I'm, I'm, um, (laughs) um, I feel like she, she's she been doing more this style of music. Um, it's kind of quiet, and it's all about the conversation with the audience, whereas I'm more used to being in rock bands that are loud and are more about the energy right. that you exchange. Yeah.
0: Okay, and of, uh, of course I know who the Smothers Brothers are. I actually saw them yeah. like 10 years ago. They played a little theater in a town called Kelowna here in BC when, that I used to live in, and they were amazing. They were probably in their 70s then.
1: Maybe, wow. Yeah, they
0: were great. Um, so that's
1: what the inspiration is. And then we took our, um, Frank's first name, yeah. Frank, P-H, and my last name, Bag, A-G, and we called it Fag.
0: <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you know, Razor Cake is a magazine that is, uh, I know that they, I, I donated some money to them because they they are a little bit struggling right now to try to keep afloat. they got a crowdfunding thing. You have got experience with this crowdfunding, crowdsourcing. You seem to have it uh, down to an art form. You, you, you're. That's been a very important uh, way for you to get your your projects done.
1: Well, yeah, and I just, I have to say that I was not um, convinced that it was the best way for me to go when I uh, first decided that I was going to make a record. I really tried. I'm saving my own money and. Mm-hmm. Doing whatever I could to like gather up the money, and I thought it's going to take me years to save enough money to go into the studio. Um, and right around the time that I was thinking of going into the studio, I read um, the Art of Asking, um, Amanda Palmer's book okay. about you know like how you know her whole philosophy of asking for money, and and it made it, it she made me understand um, that normal people everyday people can be like patrons of the arts you don't have to be like a lot of times you know you go to uh an affair at the music center or something or the opera or something you see all these donors who are super rich people supporting the kind of culture that they want to see Mm -hmm. and then I thought well why you know why is it that super rich can support the kind of culture that they want to see and people like you know my neighbor my cousin why can't they support the kind of culture that they want to see which might be different and reflect different values and uh so i you know my my mind started changing and then i have a friend named getzal who is in the band getzal who is also like uh, they are aside from being this great band they're also community organizers and he talked to me about crowd uh crowdfunding as well and talked about it as community building, you know, like an, an opportunity for you to find your audience and have an interaction with them and engage them early. And he's like, you know, he was telling me they're going to buy a record anyway. So you, <laughs> what you're doing in a way is like just giving them an opportunity to tell you that they support you to feel involved in the process. And you, you know, you, you post updates and you make them feel like, you know, they're involved. So, um so it's very rewarding. It's like a, a like strengthening that connection between people who want to hear your music and you as an artist feeling supported the whole way.
0: And I suppose it's in a lot of ways this is kind of the new millennium's version of the DIY punk ethic, right? I mean, you, I
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. You know, I have to say that I was um my my parents um were very my father especially he would never allow us to take any kind of assistance of any kind, so for me to ask for for money, it felt like I was begging, yeah. and it felt like you know i was I really had a hard time with it until it was presented to me in a different way. I feel like I was also probably proud and thinking like, no, you know, I can't ask people to, to give me money. How can I take money from people who are as broke as I am? <laughs> and then um, I realized that we all, we all make choices, you know? Sure. We all like occasionally, hopefully buy music anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like you said, and if, if it's art that you uh, are a fan of and you want to see, then why not contribute to it? Doesn't you know, it's, it's no different than going out and buying the record after it's already done. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And in fact, you're helping get it done. You're helping... Totally. You know, when, it, when it's most needed.
0: Um, okay. Um, I don't have a whole lot more, Alice. I, want to, I did want to sort of uh, hear who, who excites you these days. You mentioned uh, the band that you're producing right now. Is there other music out there that... Uh, it doesn't have to be punk necessarily, but just uh, stuff that's being produced now that uh, excites you?
1: Well, I recently went to see Priest, in my neighborhood they they played this old um American Legion hall and they are so exciting to watch so i recommend priest okay um, there's a band um out here called trap girl i don't think they're they're i don't know if they tour um, very much but they're wonderful they have a a lead singer named drew ariola who is just I, I, I think of her as like a mix between Darby Crash and Alice Bag. Oh, nice! Yeah. Uh, I think she's I think she's just got this intense energy that I that I you know that I hope I still have a little bit of.
0: Oh, I'm <laughs> so, absolutely. Well, of course you do. Yeah, I actually I played she, a Trap Girl song on my show uh, like well, a month ago or so. I can't remember the name of the tune now offhand, but they were great.
1: Oh, wonderful. Huh. So you, okay, great. Yeah, Trap Girl. I love Trap Girl. Um, Fea, I mentioned them earlier. I think they're really... They're they're like the sort of band that you can listen to over and over again. Uh, I'm listening to um, a woman named Francisca Valenzuela, okay. who is from Chile. So there's a lot of music that... Yeah. <laughs> that excites me, yeah.
0: Um, And so once this album is done, are you going to... Did you do you do you like touring and stuff like that? Do you like getting out of out of California and going off and doing stuff or do you gonna I do.
1: You know? I actually really enjoy touring. I'm you know, it's funny you know, early in this conversation we talked about how I'm not as well known as some of the some of my contemporaries, right? right? And um and it's it's sometimes a challenge because um You know, if I'm playing a small town in West Virginia, there might be you know 20 people who know who I am, and then I'll play like New York and or some other some bigger town, and Mm it's it's you know there's a wider audience. So for me, it's it's difficult to arrange tours sometimes, uh, but I love doing it. I love playing new places. Awesome. But so if you know of anyone out there that's uh, setting up tours, yeah, send them my way.
0: Okay, very good. (laughs) it It would be awesome to get you up to Western Canada sometime
1: i would love to i would love to go i i uh, did a reading at red cat once in vancouver but um i I remember that
0: i couldn't i couldn't i'm over on the island of course here so i and Uh uh, i remember when that happened and i wanted to get over there and i couldn't make it happen
1: but But it was it wasn't a whole band thing i really like to get out there with my whole band and 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 rock
0: yeah absolutely (laughs) when you played uh punk rock bowling this is just a little aside here but when you played punk rock bowling you were with a band called the sissy bears is that right
1: yeah um mm-hmm. is that
0: p- part of my ignorance for not knowing the answer to this but is that is that a ba- your band or is that just a band that you
1: It's it's my band okay. it's uh it's just there were people who played on my record and actually Fiona, who was my guitarist at that um uh well is one of my two guitarists she was um she was doing readings with me before that okay and uh David Jones and Sharif Dumani and Candice Hansen. They all played on my record, but, uh, because I didn't really have like one band play on the record. I had a, you know, a variety of musicians that I thought fit the song. So I didn't have a band, uh, right after forming the, um, right after the, the, the record was released. And as a matter of fact, at my record release party, I just had a variety of musicians come up and play. And then a few of them said, Hey, if you ever want to tour, I'm up for that so we started playing together and it the the group that kept playing together just decided we're gonna call ourselves the sissy bear okay
0: <laughs> sure oh that's awesome well I'll tell you that night was like my friend Scott and I went down I'd never been to punk rock bowling before Um and we got there that night we were, we arrived late because our, our flight was delayed and stuff and we got down to that venue and uh, you were there signing your records and I met you and I met uh Penelope Houston which was really cool uh, and your band was awesome, and then the Weirdos, and it was just, and then television just blew my mind, and, and then I got to meet uh, Jello later that night. It was just, for me, it was like this incredible night of, of like, punk rock epiphany or something. So thank you for, for being a big part of that.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for going. I'm glad you made it there. I had the same problem with, like, my flight being delayed, like, four hours. Yeah,
0: oh, wow, yeah. Um, That's great. Thanks, Alice. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I can't wait for the new record. I, I listened to uh, your your record from last year like a lot, and I really, really enjoy it, and I can't wait to hear what the next one sounds like.
1: Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks,
0: Alice. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Okay, Bye. bye-bye. This has been the Punk Show Podcast. If you'd like to hear more, including kick-ass punk music, go to thezone.fm slash punk. Oh, yeah. And be sure to check out the Punk Show on Facebook and Instagram.